Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Polygon Alpha podcast, where the Polygon community gathers insights from today's leaders in decentralized finance and crypto. I'm your host, Justin Havens, aka Crypto Texan. Let's get started. On today's episode of Polygon Alpha, we are joined by Rob from Clearpool. Rob, thanks for being here with us today. How's everything going? Everything's going well. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for having me. So let's just get started uh, very quickly on your background and you know, just what is your background and how did you get into the DeFi space? Yeah, so my background is uh, mainly in traditional finance. Um, so I started out as a broker in fixed income markets. Um, I did that for about uh, five years and then um, I moved into banking. Um, so I joined a bank in 2014. Um, the bank took me on a bit of a journey, uh, not just in terms of uh, you know, different locations, um, US, Middle East, Asia, um, but also I moved from uh, sort of starting out in fixed income um, through a journey that took me through sort of money markets, um, asset liability management, and then ultimately into the trading side, uh, where I was a repo trader in the money markets for, for the last uh, four years. Um, whilst I was doing all of that, I got into crypto in around 2015. Um, so at that time, I was uh, I was in my own time. I was I was developing a uh, a robo advisor, like a digital wealth management platform. And I realised that there, although they have this kind of like um, you know digital facade, everything underneath that is just traditional clunky. Um, financial infrastructure, very expensive and very slow. So I started looking at blockchain as a way to improve on all of that. Um, that got me into crypto. Um, and yeah, that was it really. Um, you know, once I, uh, once I, I started looking into that, um, I never really looked back, although I, I continued to work at the bank uh, right up until 2021. Um, uh, but it was, it was at that point when I decided that it was time to, uh, to get out of banking and, and into into DeFi, so I uh, came up with the idea for Clearpool with with an ex colleague actually who was also working at the bank back then who uh, left in 2018 to start a digital asset custodian called Hex Trust. Um, CEO is Alessio Corlini, him and I are ex colleagues and friends, and yeah, together we uh, we teamed up to to come up with the idea for Clearpool. Yeah, thanks for that background. Yeah, and Clearpool is a decentralized marketplace for unsecured institutional capital. Um, but what else can you tell us about Clearpool and what, is, what does all of that mean, unsecured institutional capital? Yeah, it's, it's quite a mouthful, yeah. Um, so I think the, 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 the main thing to understand about Clearpool is, is the marketplace part. Um, it, is, it is a marketplace. Um, so I like to run the parallels with um, another protocol which I'm sure um, your your listeners will be familiar with, which is Aave. Um, so when you connect to Aave, um, as you know, you will see a marketplace for assets. Um, but when you connect to, to Clearpool, you will see a marketplace for borrowers. Um, so the difference um, with with all of that is that when you lend on Aave, um, you know that the the borrower is providing collateral for that loan and in fact the collateral will be worth more in value than the loan itself um, so you don't really need to know who that borrower is you can you can loan into the protocol um, and when you want to 
get your money back, you can do so. Um, and you're pretty safe because you know that all of the borrowers on Aave are providing um, um, collateral um, or uh, basically those loans are over collateralized. Um, so the difference on Clearpool is that you do know who the borrower is and the borrowers are actually borrowing based on their credit reputation. So there is no collateral on Clearpool. So that's the main difference. Um, and because of that, um, the yields are um, very different as well. So right now, if you want to lend um, stablecoin like USDC on Aave, I think the yield is well below 1%. Um, on Clearpool, um, to lend you know, to top tier institutions, um, the yields are more like um, 10 to 12%. Um, so there's a big gap in what you receive for lending on Aave um, to what you receive for lending on Clearpool. Um, and yeah, that is basically there to compensate you for the additional risk that you are taking on uh, by lending to a borrower that is not providing collateral. Um, but um, having said that, um, the borrowers um, on Clearpool have to go through a very strict uh, onboarding process. This involves due diligence, involves KYC, KYB procedures, and also involves the borrower uh, obtaining a credit score from one of our partners, which is uh, Credora. Um, so once they've gone through all of that, I've provided a, uh, a significant amount of information to be able to do that. Uh, of course, we're able to verify them. Um, and at that point, then they can stake some of our native token Cpool um, and launch a pool. Um, it's at that stage then that the pool can then be seen by anybody who connects to the protocol um, and then they can lend. So there's a lot of information that, that uh, is available um, on the borrowers, who they are, what they do, what they would be using the borrowed funds for, etc. Um, there's that credit score, which is provided by um, Credora. Um, and then sort of as, as you go further on through the process of lending, um, lenders on Clearpool also have the ability to, to manage risk. Um, and one of the, the most simple ways that they can do that, which they can't do on other lending protocols, is decide who they want to lend to. Um, so on Clearpool, we have the single borrower pools. Um, so if you want to lend to borrower A, but not to borrower B, you can do that. Whereas on some other protocols, all of the borrowers are grouped together in a single pool. And if you lend to that pool, then effectively you might be lending to all of those borrowers. So that's a, a, a sort of a key difference between Clearpool and, and some of the other uncollateralized lending protocols out there. Yeah, and I think that makes sense to me too. I, I also have a traditional finance background, specifically in the commercial lending space. And yeah, on Aave, it, you don't really care who the borrowers are because they're providing collateral for those loans that will get liquidated should they fall below that threshold. And from an under-collateralized or unsecured lending standpoint, yeah, I think that you would be a lot more picky about who you are lending those funds to and who the borrowers are. So all of that makes perfect sense to me. And, and are all these loans, are they unsecured or are they just under-collateralized or is it a mix of both? So they're, they're all uncollateralized or unsecured. Um, so the borrowers um, right now don't have to provide any collateral at all. Um, so, um, you know, there's a possibility um, in the future with the way that the, the protocol has been built for us to introduce collateral. Um, but the, the demand in this space really is, uh, is from borrowers um, for uns completely unsecured loans. Um, so this was something that, you know, we identified very early on, of course. Um, you know, we started looking at this kind of at the end of 2020. 
Um, and yeah, we started doing a lot of research back then in early 2021 and realized that this huge demand um, from market makers, high frequency traders, um, those type of borrower profiles are in DeFi, but they're really um, sort of constrained by, by what was available back then, which was really the, the over collateralized protocols. And they're not really served by sort of traditional finance either. Um, so we knew that there was this huge demand there uh, for, for uncollateralized. Um, and that was the problem that, that we really wanted to solve initially you know, with, with Clearpool. But we wanted to, to build something that also gave you know, lenders the ability to, to manage and, and monitor and hedge the risks that they would be taking on by lending unsecured. And, and that's what Clearpool is all about. And I have heard of other, I guess, under collateralized lending protocols that will take off-chain collateral sometimes or also have, you know, paper uh, contract agreements off-chain. Uh, does Clearpool do any of that? No, we don't right now. Um, like I say, all of the, uh, all of the lending is done on, on collateralized. Um, so, um, but the, the protocol is built in a way where, you know, we can, we can introduce collateral of, of any type. Um, so, you know, if we feel like there is demand um, for you know, under collateralized or even fully collateralized, um, then, you know, we're, we'll be able to do that. But right now it's, it's all purely unsecured. Okay. Yeah. And I remember there was a time about like a month or two ago, maybe that there was this big, big push in the DeFi space of, you know, maybe renaming, um, from going from under collateralized lending or rebranding from under collateralized lending protocols, more towards the term credit protocols. What are your thoughts on that push, and does it really matter? I don't think it really matters. Um, I mean, if you look, um, you know, in in the traditional um, financial markets, you don't really have that that distinction. Um, you know, it's just lending and borrowing. You know, it could take the form of you know capital markets, instruments like bonds, uh, or money markets. You know, unsecured loans or repo. Repo, of course, is does have collateral. Um, but um, you don't really have this distinction of you know collateralized or uncollateralized. So I think you know that is just something that um, emerged because the early DeFi protocols like Compound, Aave, Maker, uh, for example, they are all over collateralized. Um, so then you know as protocols like Clearpool start to come on the scene and offer uncollateralized loans. Um, the term, I guess, you know, uncollateralized DeFi, you know, um, was born. But I think, you know, credit protocols is much easier to say. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, the borrowers are relying on their credit reputation, so it kind of makes sense. Um, but um, ultimately, you know, lending and borrowing, I think, is is really, you know, a term that uh, will probably eventually include you know, Clearpool um, and those uh, other protocols that are either also unsecured, under collateralized or fully collateralized like Aave uh, and, uh, and, and Compound. We'll probably, you know, just refer to them all, you know, within that sort of lending and borrowing segment of DeFi. Um, but there'll still obviously be the distinction between the protocols uh, that, that are concentrating either on over collateralized or, or uncollateralized. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And what is the issue with over-collateralized lending? I mean, it's obviously an, probably an inefficient use of capital, but I, I don't know, what, what other issues do you see with that specifically? 
That, that's the main thing, really. So it's it's a very inefficient use of of of, of capital. So if you you know if for 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 smaller retail borrowers, it's it's probably not so. You know, especially if you're holding long term some Bitcoin, some Ethereum, or some other assets, you know, you're quite happy to put that up as as collateral uh, to borrow some some small amount of stable coin. Um, so up to a sort of certain size borrower, I think you know that this uh, this is fine. But um, for the type of borrowers that we have on Clearpool, um, you know, they have their business strategy, their model is actually very capital intensive. Um, so they're basically making markets um, on all of the major exchanges and arbitraging inefficiencies in the markets um, for very sort of small amounts. And generally speaking, they are sort of delta neutral or risk neutral. Um, so they're not taking a huge amount of risk. Um, so they need to have more capital to be able to, to maximize the, 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 the profits that they make through those, those small inefficiencies that they, that they um, that they arbitrage, so so it's it's quite a capital intensive. But if you think about it, you know, if they wanted to borrow, let's say, um, ten million dollars, um, if you wanted to do that on you know on Aave or Compound, you would first have to provide probably depending on what asset you were providing as collateral, that might have to be like fifteen or even twenty million dollars worth of that asset in order to be able to borrow ten million dollars of stablecoin. So. And, and actually, you know, in some cases, the, the collateral factor can be higher. So, um, so you can see that, you know, that, that, that is a problem for those type of borrowers. Um, and that's where the demand came from. So I think that, that you know, that inefficient use of, of capital um, is, the, is the main problem. Um, but I think also um, Clearpool and, and uncollateralized loans gives those borrowers the opportunity to build their own credit reputation in DeFi. Um, so again, if you're borrowing on of our compound, as we said earlier, nobody knows who you are, right? And nobody needs to know who you are. Um, whilst, you know, you can uh, refer people to your wallet address, and it still doesn't really give you that sort of reputation that you can build if you run a pool on Clearpool. So we have borrowers like Wintermute, uh, for example, now that have you know, had pools open since we launched in March, you know, those pools are being very well managed. Um, and over time, you know, the longer that pool remains open, um, the, the, the higher the, the sort of credit reputation that, that Wintermute is building in this space. And, and I think that's, you know, what those guys want. They want to have control over their own pool, but they want to have that ability to, to build their own uh, credit reputation as well. So I think that's something that's very important. Yeah, I've definitely seen the idea of like an on-chain credit reputation being a trend. I mean, even for like the past two years, it's it's been something that the space has talked about, but I think we're actually starting to see it come to fruition, which is pretty exciting. It's kind of like the next step for DeFi, in my opinion. Um, but when you are approving an institution like Wintermute to be whitelisted, right? Because you have to be whitelisted as an institution to borrow when Clearpool. Um, I, I assume this is done by the community or, or the DAO, or maybe it's just like the core team right now, but what is the criteria that the community is looking at? And are, are they being whitelisted for a specific amount or a specific borrowing limit? Just, I guess, that, that whole process. Yeah, that, that's a great question because that's probably gonna evolve over time. So right now, um, you know, Clearpool is still relatively young. Um, we decided that you know uh, onboarding of new borrowers should initially be done, generally speaking, by by the core team. 
Um, we wanted to, you know, be very careful in the early days to make sure that, you know, we have very good quality borrowers, of course. And and I think this decision was was the right one because, of course, you know, uh, shortly after we launched, we had the volatility that came from uh, initially the the Terra Luna collapse, and then of course the whole uh, three arrows and, and Celsius and everything else. So. Um, so I think that that approach, that sort of more cautious approach in the early days is the right one. Um, but the borrowers essentially what they have to do is, um, first of all, they will make a, a proposal to, to open a pool. In some cases, we've actually reached out to some of the borrowers. In some cases, they're, they're investors. Um, um, in most cases, they reach out to us. Um, so initially, the, the core team will, will make an assessment of that borrower. So we'll have a, a meeting with them. Um, and we'll do our own due diligence and, and ask them a bunch of questions. Um, and if we feel that, you know, after that, um, that they would make a good fit for Clearpool, we then pass them on to our partner, Credora. Credora does further due diligence. Uh, they do the KYC, KYB onboarding procedure. And then they move on to the, the credit scoring. And this is where, you know, the borrower really has to sort of provide quite a lot of detailed information, financial statements, um, and some other information, which gives Credora you know, uh, an insight into their financial situation. But also they have to provide um, read-only API keys for all of the exchanges that they have accounts with. Um, and then that, what that allows Credora to do is then uh, visualize you know, where the balance sheet is being deployed, um, pull the data from those API feeds, and then contextualize what they're seeing with the financial statements that they've already analyzed. Um, and through that entire process, it, they're, they're able to sort of build a very solid picture of the financial health of, of that borrower. Um, and a large portion of that is, is real time, the data that's coming from, from the exchange API keys. So this is something that's monitored, monitored continuously, um, and it, it gives lenders kind of a real-time look under the hood um, of you know, how healthy the borrower is. So this is something that doesn't really exist, hasn't existed in, in, in the past, and that's an innovation you know, that, that our partnership with, uh, with Credora you know, brings to, to our lenders to have that ability um, you know, to, see, to see the credit uh, in, in, in real time. So they have to go through that entire process, um, and once they've done that, you know, if they get a score um, which is above a certain level, um, then the final, uh, final part of becoming a borrower is to stake uh, some sepal. Um, there's a calculation that we use uh, for that. Um, and once that's done, um, the pool would then be live on the, on the protocol and can be, uh, can be seen by, uh, by anybody who connects with their wallet. What is the purpose of having the borrower stake uh, some sepal tokens before they actually borrow those funds? So it's really, you know, we, we kind of view it as, as a little bit like a, a membership fee. Um, so, of course, it, it brings some utility to the token. Um, and it means that, you know, the more borrowers that we have, the more tokens have to be bought from the open market. Um, and those tokens remain staked for the duration that the pool remains open. Um, and because the pools don't have any maturity date, they're basically perpetual um, as long as the borrower wants to keep it open, it will remain open. Even if they completely repay the loan, they can keep the pool open uh, in case they want to start borrowing again in the future. So those C-pool are, are being um, locked up for, for long periods of time. So it adds you know, quite a lot of uh, utility to the token. Um, 
and also I guess you know um, from from a from a borrower perspective of course you know they know that that uh, that seed pool is there and you know if uh, if they were to um, you know, act in any sort of unfaithful way uh, towards the protocol, um, try to game the protocol or, or the system in any way, then, um, you know, the pool can be closed through governance um, and those C pool will, would then be not returned, um, which is also the case in a default as well. So it provides a, a few different, um, few different uh, reasons for, for, for that state C pool. Yeah, and I think it'd be interesting for our listeners to hear, you know, just how common are under-collateralized or non-collateralized loans in the traditional finance world? I mean, I, I could think of credit cards as one that probably everybody has and you don't really think about it being an unsecured or uncollateralized loan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, from a sort of a, a more retail perspective, um, yeah, credit cards, um, student loans, um, you know, I guess people can, you know, very easily think of the type of loans that are collateralized and, you know, a mortgage on a house might be one um, or a car loan uh, in most cases, I guess. But, uh, you know, when you when you actually get into um, sort of um, institutional finance, um, majority of the loans are unsecured. Um, so that could be anything from banks lending to each other overnight um, or to write, you know, write the way through to sort of long-term bond issuances. You know, there's a lot of corporates that issue bonds, you know, anywhere from five to 30 years and beyond. In fact, there are perpetual bonds as well. Um, and generally speaking, although there can be, you know, slightly different structures to those, to those instruments, uh, generally speaking, they're, they're unsecured. Um, in some cases, you know, they can be secured by, by some revenue streams um, from from the business model, but um, but in between, you know, there's there's many different forms, and I would say that yeah, the majority of, of them are uh, unsecured. So I think you know this is this is not something new. You know what, what the, the the core concept of you know uncollateralized unsecured lending is is nothing new. It's just that um, Clearpool you know takes that concept and then using uh, the, using the blockchain technology and and the concepts of decentralization. We've actually, you know, innovated something which is far more efficient than than the the incumbent system. Um, and I think what that means is that as you know, as more institutions start to pay attention to this um, and realize, you know, that you know, at some point, debt is going to be originated on chain. You know, whether that's stable coins or whether that's central bank digital currencies. Um, that you know, this is this is an area where you know, they're going to be operating. And, you know, so I think, um, you know, Clearpool is, is really, you know, having built something that's very innovative, it will make it very difficult for those, for those sort of incumbent institutions in the tr traditional world not to be able to move, you know. So I think if you take, you know, that sort of traditional financial concept and just lift it and put it, you know, on a blockchain, you'll get some improvement but you probably won't get a 10x improvement. So then it's going to be difficult for you to, you know, attract those those users. But with Clearpool, I believe that we've we've built something that is, you know, so innovative that it does really give that 10x improvement. And therefore, you know, I think we can attract those uh, those users from the traditional world quite uh, quite easily. Right, because I, I think 
Another thing, just to, for the audience, like one of the things that you do focus on on a retail standpoint, like mortgages and car loans, is the collateral. The collateral pay, plays a pretty big part in getting that loan approved. But, and then when you, you know, and I've made my fair share of unsecured commercial loans, and what you're relying on more there is, you know, number one, you're like the character uh, of the institutional borrower in the sense on Clearpool, which can refer to the, just like the reputation within the space, but also uh, your credit score or your credit history it, it defines your character. And then focusing on the capacity that they have to repay those loans, so that's like uh, projected future revenue streams. And uh, the capital is another thing that you focus on, which is like their balance sheet, which you said in Clearpool's case is governed by an API key that is connected to all the other brokerage or, or exchanges that they're operating on, which is which is very, very cool to me. Just to have like a, a live feed into the balance sheet of that institution seems really interesting. And then uh, the main thing, the other thing that you focus on is the conditions, which is like the terms of the loan, the interest rate, and, and other factors like that. And you're not, you're just not really focusing on the collateral as much. And it's just taking another thing that we've had in the traditional finance space for a very long time and converting it over into the DeFi space. And I, th I think this is, the, this is really exciting. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you mentioned pretty much, I think, all the five C's there of the, uh, you know, the, the credit underwriting. Uh, that, goes, that goes back to my credit training background right there, the five C's of credit. Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, the, the one that, that, you know, we, we don't really need to focus on so much is, is the collateral. Um, but everything else is taken into consideration, you know, through the due diligence and the on, onboarding and, and the credit rating process. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, that, that's the way that it's done right now. Um, but I think, you know, um, as we progress, you know, we want to try to decentralize that process as much as possible and bring the community into that. But one of the things that we're introducing uh, very soon is our Oracle system. And, and this is part of the this SQL staking mechanism on, on Clearpool. Um, and basically, Oracles, in the beginning, uh, they will be tasked with providing the inputs that will price and shape the interest rate curve, which is integral to those permissionless pools. Um, but later on, you know, we do see this Oracle system as potential to be used uh, in the onboarding of new borrowers. Um, so probably, you know, in a sort of a two-step uh, process, initially, you know, that job that is currently done by the, the, the core team, uh, which is first of all, you know, making the assessment of a, of a new proposal uh, would be step one. Um, so we can get a consensus decision on that part. Um, and then, you know, the borrower would probably still follow a, a very similar process of, of, of obtaining, you know, the, the, uh, the whitelisting and, and the credit score from, uh, from, from Credora or one of our other partners in that space. But then the, the final whitelisting decision you know, can this borrower now actually open a pool would also be put back to the oracles. And, you know, as, as a as a pool holder, you'll be able to, to stake and delegate your voting power to an oracle. Um, so if you, you know, if you, if you see the list of oracles and, you, you know, you, you trust, um, you know, one of those names, then you can delegate, you know, your token to them and, and trust that they'll be making the, the decision that you, uh, that you would make yourself. Um, so, you know, there's all sorts of things that you could, you know, you could talk about around that, like, you know, slashing if bad decisions are made and things like that. So these are all, you know, governance uh, models and, and parts of governance that we do think about a lot. And, you know, it's something that, you know, we are 
we're working on, and we want to we want to make sure that you know when we when we do start to to decentralize these processes, um, that you know we've we we get it right first time, um, because I think you know governance is is extremely important, and I'm not sure that you know there is a governance mechanism out there yet that has you know truly really sort of nailed it and of course it's going to be different for each protocol as well so you know that's something that that we're that we're looking at you know we take our time on clearpool is is already very decentralized in that you know the pools are essentially purely driven by the supply and demand market forces of supply and demand um so you know, all that really sits between the borrowers and the lenders on Clearpool is a smart contract. There's nobody else in the middle making decisions on, you know, what the interest rate should be, what the tenor of the loan should be, uh, what the size of the loan should be, none of that. Um, you know, it's purely driven by, by the market. Um, so already we have, you know, a very, very decentralized protocol. But when it comes to governance, you know, which will further decentralize some of those processes, um, you know, we, we're we're really focused on on getting that right, and and um, the first step of that will be the Oracle system, which is going to be launched very soon. Yeah, that's really interesting. Leveraging the power of oracles to kind of, I guess, nail down that interest rate curve as it pertains to each specific borrower in pool. Um, but I also feel like there's other opportunities in regards to maybe like an interest rate swap, um, or have you ever have you seen any demand or opportunities related to something like that, or like a credit default swap even? Yeah, absolutely. This is uh, one of the things that you know we had on our, our roadmap from day one, actually. So, as I mentioned at the beginning, beginning we wanted to to build a protocol that solved that problem for the borrowers, but also gave lenders the opportunity um, to manage uh, uh, and hedge risk. So some of the, the ways to do that is to provide interest rate swaps, and that's gonna be something that will come very soon uh, in two different ways. One of them will be that we'll be introducing an index pool, which will be a, a pool which will spread the liquidity amongst all of the other pools based on the weighting of the index. And then when you provide liquidity to that pool, um, you'll also be able to, to hedge your interest rate exposure by, by taking an interest rate swap um, based on, on, uh, on, on the, 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 the blended rate um, from, from the index. Um, and then beyond that, also we're looking at token stripping. Um, so here, potentially we'll partner with, with other protocols whereby when you lend to, to, the, uh, to the pools on Clearpool, you receive a token called CP token. Um, so those CP tokens represent the amount of liquidity that you've provided to the pool. Um, they accrue the interest rate uh, for that pool and, and they also represent the, the risk profile of the borrower. But you'll be able to take those tokens and strip them into the underlying element and the yield element. And then you can either monetize your yield up front um, or use that mechanism to essentially uh, take a a floating to fixed interest rate swap. So interest rate swaps are, are something that, that's, that's going to be coming. Um, but the big one you mentioned is, is the credit default swap. Um, this is something you know, that we've been, been building basically um, from the beginning. Um, this is, I think, going to be a game changer. Um, it's going to take a little bit more time. We have um, the staking coming next. We've got thematic pools coming after that with the index pool that I talked about. But ultimately, um, 
the uh, when we introduce the the credit default swap, I think you know this is really going to be a, a game changer. It'll really allow lenders, you know, give them that further ability to hedge their exposures, um, and you know potentially. You know, within DeFi, you know, especially with the type of yields that can be available, depending on the utilization of the pool, it's possible that you know lenders would be able to use all of these things and and uh, structure, you know, a, even in, uh, like a, a risk-free return um, through through playing those those derivatives. So, you know, this is all coming, and I think that level of sophistication is really what a lot of um, traditional firms that are looking to get into this space. That's one of the things that they need to see. You know, of course, they, uh, they they need to to think about you know compliance and regulation. But one of the other things is is the sophistication of the product offering. You know, they need to be able to, to hedge risks. Um, and uh, so I think you know when when these sort of products are, are finally built and introduced, um, that's going to be a real game changer for DeFi. And I do have a question about the CP tokens. Right, so I, I would assume that they're pool specific. So, uh, just kind of given the fact that there's different borrowers, different rates, and uh, e I guess each pool has a different risk profile in general. So, if I provide liquidity to the winter mute pool versus the three arrows capital pool, that's actually a bad example. Um, but you know, you get what I'm saying. Uh, they would be different tokens per each pool, correct? That is correct, yeah. So the, the, the CP tokens are pool specific. Um, the way it works is it basically works um, on an exchange rate mechanism. Um, so when you lend to the pool, um, you're probably getting one for one CP token for every USDC that you loan. That you loan. Um, and then over time, the interest that accrues changes the exchange rate. Um, so when you want to redeem your CP tokens, the, uh, the exchange rate has changed. So um, let's say you loaned $100 um, and six months down the line, you want to withdraw that amount, you'll get you know, the, the $100 plus the interest that has accrued um, during that time period. So the exchange rate basically um, adjusts over time um, so that the, the CP token is the is the the part of the um, of the protocol which is effectively accruing the interest for, for lenders so and then on top of that we have c pool rewards so if you look at the pools now you can see um, um i haven't checked today but i think let's see for winter mute we used the example earlier um their pool is 10.8 percent um if you click on that and then hover over the APR, you can see that the, the APR that's paid in USDC um, is 7.65%, um, and then there's 3.15%, which is paid in CPL. Um, so whilst the USDC interest accrues to the CP tokens, uh, the CPL um, is accruing separately and can be claimed at any time. Um, but the, the USDC interest would be, would be paid when you redeem, um, so when you decide to withdraw your liquidity, that's when you get the USDC interest. That was actually my next question, so you beat me to it. And that's, you know, just because that's another trend that we're seeing, um, or a new, an, or a narrative that we're seeing in the DeFi space is real yield instead of, you know, purely uh, 
token yield emissions that are being paid for bootstrapping. But so you're providing you're providing both, and I, I think that makes that makes perfect sense. And a, a, another like more recent topic that I want to talk about. And speaking of Three Arrows Capital, you know, as we saw in the Three Arrows Capital bankruptcy, where you know they had to pay back their debt to the compound protocol first before they filed for bankruptcy. And in my mind, as a banker, a former banker, recovering banker, that essentially means that the compound protocol had a perfected lien on those assets, and, or, or like a first priority lien in regards to the Three Arrows Capital assets, uh, which kind of got me thinking, you know, are those type of loans secured by collateral on the blockchain the most secured that you can have them? And then I'm kind of wondering, you know, where would the depositors for Clearpool fall in that type of situation? We could probably only speculate right now, but I just wanted to get your thoughts. So I think um, the reason those loans got repaid is because, you know, the probably the value of the collateral that was being provided was worth more than the loan. Um, so, you know, it makes sense that, um, that, that those loans would get paid off first. I think when it comes to, you know, uncollateralized loans on, on DeFi, um, they're very much out in the open. So, you know, if um, if three hours, you know, we know that they were borrowing from the likes of Celsius, for example, but until it really all blew up, nobody really knew that, or certainly not the extent to which Celsius and some of those other centralized lenders were 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 were, were lending to, to three hours. So, um, but if if it's on Clearpool, it's it's very much out in the open. So our pools are. You know, 100% transparent. Everything can be seen on chain on the Block Explorer. So every single lend transaction, every single withdrawal, every single borrow, every single repay, all of those transactions can be seen on the Block Explorer. Um, and if and if and when it came to a default, of course, you know everybody, uh, you know, in DeFi would would know about that. Especially, you know, all of the lenders in that pool. Um, so I think you know. Um, in a sort of um, unsecured environment, you know, if a borrower is starting to struggle, you know, probably um, a loan that they have on Clearpool is something that they're probably going to repay first because it sends a signal to the market that, you know, they're okay, that they're not actually in trouble. Whereas, you know, something that is, you know, bilateral between them and some of the centralized lender, which is kind of behind closed doors, you know, it's it's not so... Uh, so, you know, it's not so public uh, and therefore, you know, um, so I think that's a factor to take into consideration. If there is a default, then all of the lenders in, on Clearpool are equal. Um, we have something called an insurance account in each pool. Um, so the interest um, on Clearpool is generated every block. Um, and from that interest, um, a percentage is uh, diverted to um, the insurance account for each of the pools and also some of it goes to protocol revenue as well. Those insurance accounts uh, build up over time and in the event of a default whatever is in the insurance account is available to the lenders. Um, but first of all um, once we hit default um, there would be a auction um, whereby um, a white, any whitelisted bidder would be able to come in and bid um, for the debt of the pool. Um, what they're essentially bidding for is all of the CP tokens of that pool. So if we think, you know, um, if we have a default and we have an insurance account which equates to, let's say, 20 cents on the dollar, then we have an auction process. At the end of that, the winning bid equates to 60 cents on the dollar. 
Um, then the LPs in that pool have a final vote. Um, they can either accept the winning bid, uh, and if so, they would, uh, they would get their 60 cents on the dollar, uh, but they would relinquish their legal rights to pursue the borrower. Um, or if the consensus votes to reject the winning bid, they would then get their 20 cents on the dollar from the insurance pool, uh, sorry, the insurance account, um, but they would retain their, their legal rights uh, to pursue the borrower. Um, so this is really, you know, obviously down to, to the, the type of lenders that are in that pool. But the, the, the concept here is to try to get LPs, you know, as much compensation as possible without actually having to go down the route of, of, a, of a long drawn out legal process. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, with the other products that we'll be building on top of Clearpool, you know, it's possible that you can use all of that with, like, say, a credit default swap, for example, to uh, to protect, you know, fully protect yourself in the event of a default. Um, and we have a all of that, by the way, is is kind of underpinned by a, a very robust suite of legal documents, which uh, we developed with uh, with a global law firm. Um, so, we, whilst it's you know a very unique default mechanism, it's it's, it's unlike nothing, you know, from sort of traditional markets. Um, it is actually, you know, underpinned by 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 solid legal documentation. Um, so we're actually, yeah, very um, very proud of of the you know the the innovation that we have, you know, in 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 case of black swan events, you know, as well as of course the the innovation which is easier to see, you know, which is part of the uh, the, the 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 single borrower pools and the interest rate mechanisms. And what is the jurisdiction of choice for this? type of litigation or, or recourse? So right now it's Hong Kong. Um, that's where our legal team is based. And Hong Kong law is, is based on British law. Um, so it's, uh, it's quite a common uh, place uh, for, uh, for that, uh, that, type of, um, that type of thing. Okay. And just in general, like what are you seeing, like, like where are you seeing the most demand? Like are you seeing it more on the borrow side or the supply side right now? And are y'all just doing USDC at the moment for supplying and borrowing? We're just doing USDC at the moment. Um, again, the protocol you know, is able to support multiple different assets and we'll just uh, basically see where, you know, where the supply and the demand is uh, for different assets. Um, you know, there's definitely um, some demand uh, for other types of assets, so I'm sure we'll see that change over time. Um, I think right now the demand is probably more on the borrow side, um, just because you know what happened you know, in the markets recently, it kind of dried up liquidity. A lot of lenders were very much risk off um, and a lot of liquidity was kind of sucked out of the market, um, which left you know, the type of borrowers that we have right now um, you know, hungry for, for liquidity and you know, we saw interest rates rise on the back of that. Um, so there is a lot of demand, um, you know, from those the type of borrowers that we have right now, which is the um, high-frequency trading firms and market makers. We do have a you know strong pipeline of of similar borrowers, as I mentioned, but we're looking way beyond that. So you know we see demand coming from um, other sort of crypto-native firms like miners. Um, we've been talking actually to DAOs. Um, you know, there's sort of beyond. Um, crypto, there's opportunities with uh, fintech lenders. Um, and then Clearpool also has permissioned pools. So everything that we spoke about up to now has been um, 
regarding the permissionless pools where anybody can be a lender. But we have a number of, of sort of more traditional financial institutions that are coming into DeFi. Um, right now, because, you know, because they're kind of coming from that more traditional space and they have risk and compliance departments and, and also sometimes regulatory issues, they have to know who are the lenders uh, in their pool. So the permissionless pools, whilst they love the, the concept and the innovation there, um, they need to have this ability to, to have uh, a visibility on, on who are the lenders. So, so the permission pools are for those type of institutions. And the first one we launched was for Jane Street. Um, they're borrowing 50 million USDC from Block Tower right now through Clearpool. And we have a number of other sort of similar profile borrowers that are going to be opening permission pools soon. I think there's, there's also going to be one uh, actually um, coming up very soon. Um, and, you know, this is, this is a, another area where, you know, Clearpool can really scale um, because those guys obviously, you know, do much bigger size. Um, you know, that, that, that particular loan is 50 million USDC, but it's um, potentially those sort of institutions can do much, much bigger sizes. Um, and we're building a more sophisticated product solution on, on the permission side as well, which will, uh, which will come later this year. Um, and what that will allow is for these uh, more sort of traditional style institutions, um, it'll give them the ability to be able to interact with each other in, in a more of a decentralized uh, way, but within this permissioned ecosystem where everyone knows that each other has, has gone through the, exactly the same process to, to be there. Uh, another question I have is uh, related to what your borrowers are doing with the proceeds of these loans. So like, what, what are they doing with the proceeds of these loans, typically? And are the use of proceeds for the loan something that is also taken into consideration before whitelisting a pool? So it's one of the questions that we ask um, the borrowers when they, uh, when they first you know, make a proposal to open a pool. Um, Generally speaking, right now, it's, it's very easy for us to, to track that. Um, because of the type of borrower profiles that we have, the majority of those guys are simply using that liquidity to make markets on centralized exchanges. So these guys, you know, they're, 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 they're the guys providing liquidity in, in all of the tokens that you trade on centralized exchanges. That's anything from, from Bitcoin and Ethereum through to, you know, to all different uh, altcoins as well. So what they're doing is that they're, they're literally taking the, uh, the liquidity that they borrow uh, and putting it on an exchange and using that to provide liquidity on the exchange. As I mentioned earlier, the, uh, that, that, uh, that strategy um, can be, in most cases, delta neutral, market risk neutral. Um, they're really kind of you know, just providing liquidity both sides um, and taking advantage, advantage of small inefficiencies within those pricing models between different exchanges. Um, so, um, and that can be tracked, right? So we can see, um, you know, if you wanted to, you can really, you know, delve into the Block Explorer and see when a borrower removes liquidity from the pool, where is he sending it to, you know? And, uh, you know, you can, you can track all of that if, if you want to. Um, of course, it doesn't, you know, there's nothing to stop the borrower from using the liquidity for something else. But if it's not uh, being picked up by the API keys that have been uh, provided um, to Credora, then it potentially could uh, 
um, affect their, their credit rating. So again, as we talked about, that kind of moves in real time. So if all of a sudden a, a borrower you know, removes a lot of liquidity from the exchanges but doesn't repay into the clear pool, then Credora will not have visibility on a lot of the, the balance sheet where it's being deployed and that will have an impact on their credit rating. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And you touched on one of the revenue streams for the protocol being, um, you know, you've got, you've got CP tokens that go towards the uh, insurance fund and some of those also go to, the, I guess, the protocol treasury. But what other revenue streams are there for the protocol? Like how, how are you driving uh, funds to the treasury? That is in USDC and, and the revenue is generated in USDC as well. Um, so um, all of that revenue um, is, is used to buy back CPOL. Um, so we have a buyback mechanism. Um, so all of the, all of the, the revenue basically accrues in, in each of the pools. Um, and then once per quarter, uh, we'll remove the liquidity from the pools. For, sorry, we'll remove the revenue from the pools. Um, and all of that in USDC will then be used to buy CPOL on the open market. And right now, 100% of the buybacks are being burned. So we executed the first one uh, just last week. Um, other forms of revenue uh, will be, um, so by the way, the revenue is also the same from the permission pools. So um, there's a percentage of interest, uh, which is diverted to revenue from the permission pools. Um, and then um, we also have um, the insurance. If a pool is, is closed, um, voluntarily, voluntarily by by um, by a borrower uh, or for any other reason um, other than default, then the the insurance account is also used for for is basically diverted to to revenue. So um, so it's, it's it's insurance. If there's a default in any any other scenario when the pool is closed, it becomes revenue. Um, and then the third one is, well, there's going to be several other ways in which the protocol will be generating revenue in the future. So we talked about the derivatives um, that, that are going to be built on top of Clearpool, like uh, CDS, interest rate swaps, you know, anything like that, um, where, um, and also thematic pools. So thematic pools are, I mentioned the, uh, the index pool. Um, so we'll have we'll have other pools that basically distribute liquidity based on some mandate, um, and then what we know right now is that a lot of our LPs are distributing liquidity amongst a number of pools, and of course to do that they have to do an individual transaction each time. So the thematic pools will allow them to do that with only having one transaction. So we know there's going to be demand for that, and that will generate fees in in um, again, which you know will will accrue to revenue. Um, so there's the fees from thematic pools, from derivatives, um, and all of that, you know, will come in the future. So they'll, the revenue streams will grow, um, but uh, even, you know, as, it's, as it is now, as long as we, as long as the protocol continues to grow in terms of, you know, the number of borrowers and, and uh, the size of the pools and the amount of pools and so on, then the revenue will grow with it. Yeah, and you've kind of already touched on this, but I just kind of want to, you know, we're kind of running up on time, and I just want to just kind of get a sense of this, if there's anything else you wanted to touch on that we didn't get a chance to address, and just what, what's next on the roadmap for Clearpool? Uh, yeah, the next thing is uh, we're, we're about to launch our native uh, staking mechanism. So I think we, we spoke a little bit about it already. Um, so this is, this is where the oracles will come in. So we'll be, be announcing a number of oracles. There'll be the Genesis oracles. 
they will be uh, providing the inputs which will be used to, uh, to shape and price the, the interest rate mechanism. Um, and everybody will be able to, to stake CPOOL on the protocol and delegate their voting power to one of these oracles. And this is where you know, the, the, sort of the, the highest yields are going to be available for, for staking CPOOL. Um, but not, not only that, it also means that you are participating in securing that, that pricing mechanism for, for the interest rates which, is, which are paid by borrowers and received by lenders. Um, and this is important because interest rates move um, and we want the rates on Clearpool to, to reflect the, the current rates in the market. So the, the oracles will be incentivized to provide those accurate rates that they see in the market um, because um, if they fall outside of the, the, uh, the, the, the center part of the distribution, if you like, when we, when we take all of the inputs from the oracles, we'll have a distribution and the tails will be cut off and then we'll have a truncated distribution. The median will be used to, to price the curve for the following epoch. Um, so if you're falling you know, outside of that, that zone as an oracle, you won't receive any of the emissions for that epoch. And that's the staking yield. So as a staker, you want to be staking to the and delegating to the oracles that have the best record for, for providing the most accurate rates. And this incentivizes those oracles to do that. So, so not, not only will you be able to, uh, you know, to generate yield on your seed pool, but you'll also be, uh, be participating in, in sort of securing that pricing mechanism, which is a very important part of the, the protocol. Um, and it provides a real utility for the token. So that's something that, that's coming next, very soon in fact. Um, and we've got new pools coming, so there's a number of borrowers lined up. Um, so we're going to be uh, seeing new pools both, both on the permissionless side and on the permission side. <clears throat> the permission product, as I said, will evolve and later on this year. Um, we'll introduce a more sophisticated uh, product. Um, it'll also be rebranded, so something very exciting to look, look out for there. Um, and yeah, I think we really touched on all of the other things that are kind of in the in the pipeline, um, thematic pools, you know, credit derivatives, um, and a secondary trading environment for CP tokens. All of these things, you know, we're working on um, at the same time as obviously trying to, to continue to grow and scale the protocol. So uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's exciting and, and busy. It sounds like y'all have come so far, but you just keep adding things to the roadmap where this is never going to end. It's, 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 you know, we're, we're still only, what, I think, you know, five months um, since we launched in March. And we've, we've delivered so much in that five months. I'm really proud of the, of the team and what they've, what they've done, what they've delivered. Um, but there is so much more that we can do. And you know, um, we've really kind of only scratched the surface of, of where, this, where this could all go in the future. There's, there's just so much that can be done in this space. So I think we're still very, very, very early on you know, in this um, in this part of DeFi, um, and it just has massive potential uh, to attract, you know, hundreds of billions or even trillions of dollars of value from from tradi traditional uh, finance. Well, this is where the the meme from twenty seventeen of the institutions are coming finally comes to fruition, and Clearpool's doing it. So yeah, I think so. Um, it makes sense for. 
for them to come in, you know, in DeFi in this space. Um, and there's a lot of people out there that probably would have preferred them not to have got involved in in Bitcoin, um, which now has you know a much higher correlation with traditional risky assets like stocks. Um, and you can you know see the the outcome of that, I guess, at the moment with with how Bitcoin trades, um, but. But when it comes to, to DeFi and, and in this space, um, I think it absolutely makes sense to, to attract those institutions. Yeah. Well, uh, final question for you, Rob, is where can people go to find out more about you and Clearpool? Yeah, best place is the website. So that's uh, clearpool.finance. Um, there's a link on there to our documentation section uh, that explains absolutely everything that you need to know about Clearpool. Um, and the team, we have a very transparent, open team. You can find out about us there. Um, you can also check out our Medium, which is linked from, from there, um, and our Twitter posts. Everything is linked from, from the website. So start off there and uh, do your own research. Amazing. Well, thanks to everyone for listening and watching. If you're watching on Polygon TV, subscribe, uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Polygon Alpha Podcast, and Rob. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, Justin.